The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So we're at the point in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We've been supposed to be here for like the last three weeks. We're finally here. And we're at the point where Jesus' public ministry has come to a close. For so long as we've gone through this gospel, it's been focusing on Christ's call to the crowds. He's been calling them to faith in him, to believe in him. But now, hitting chapter 13, the, the hour that he's constantly talked about, the hour of his death, it's arrived, it's here. And in his final hour, he turns from focusing on the world to focusing on his own. That's what we see right in the opening verse of John chapter 13. Verse 1 flies like a banner over the next four chapters. The next four chapters are nothing but Jesus spending time with his disciples at a meal and in a garden before he goes to the cross. John's the only one that unfolds and unpacks this much of what Jesus had to share with his disciples on that occasion. And verse 1 is the banner over it all. Look at it. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Like Everything that Christ is about to do, everything that he is about to say, has this banner flying over it. He loved his own. He He will love them to the end. This is good news. This is for us. That that phrase, he he loved them to the end. In Greek, you can take it temporally, which is how the ESV translates it here. He, He loved them to the end. But for all of you who love grammar, you could also take it adverbially. In other words, to the fullest extent, how much he loved them to the max, to the end, to the goal, to the fullest, the uttermost. I think Jesus means both. And I think so because of what he's going to say later on in this evening. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus will say, greater love, fuller love, to the uttermost, the maximum extent. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life to the end for his friends. Over the next several chapters flies the banner of Christ's love. Full. Forever. You can't graph that. It's just a solid bar, infinite in both directions. Full love forever. That's what he's aiming to show us right here, right now in chapter 13. Through all he says and all he does, we want to see the full forever love of Christ. And here's the deal. This fullness of love, this forever love, it is greater, it is grander, it is more glorious than any of these disciples can imagine, than any of us can imagine. Jesus says that. He's like, you're not going to be able to get what's going on. Look, look down at verse 7 real quick. What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. He says, you're not going to get that my full forever love that I'm showing you. It's not going to make sense right now. You're not going to be able to see it. You're not going to be able to understand it fully. But afterward, after what? After his hour. After his hour is passed, after the cross, his death, his resurrection, then they will understand. 
understand. And he wants them to understand. He wants us to understand. We should be able to from this side of the cross. We should be able to look and see what's going on here. He wants them and us to understand. I know that because of verse 17. Look at verse 17. He tells us why he wants us to understand. If you know, if you understand, if you get, if you grasp, if you know these things, blessed, makarios, means happy, joyful, glad. If you understand these things, know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Christ wants us to grasp, understand his full forever love because then it will do something through us. Do you see that? Blessed are you if you do them. You see my love, you get it, it's going to do something through you. And what it does will lead to joy. He wants us to get it so that it will do something through us and that something will lead us to joy in Jesus. I actually think that all too often we lack true joy in Christ because we don't fully see and understand his love for us. I think we stop short, even in this passage, with the foot washing. If you've grown up in church, you're probably like me, and you come to this passage believing you already know what's here. My mentor, Dr. Robert Smith, I love the way that he puts it. He says, for Christians, the greatest obstacle to knowledge of the Bible is knowledge of the Bible. We don't learn because we think we know. I'm telling you, for most of us, we stop in defining the love of Christ as we read this passage, we stop after verse 8. I, and I think it leads us to lack true joy in Christ because we don't understand his full forever love. So, this morning, John 13, we got one goal. One goal, to see, to understand, at least a little bit more. I, I told you, it's, it's, it's infinite in both directions, full forever. We can't totally wrap our minds around it, but hopefully see a little bit more, understand a little bit more the full extent of the forever love of Christ and its greatness, its grandness, and its glory. That's where we're going. I'm excited about it. Don't know about you. Let's see it together. Let's start in verse 2. It says, during the supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples before he dies. He knows that. Like, he knows it's the dark hour of his death that has arrived. But even darker than that, he knows that one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot, he's going to talk about it multiple times, he knows that one of his own disciples will betray him, turn him over to the authorities. Even darker than that, like feel us descending into the darkness. Death is coming. It's coming through one of my disciples, and we descend even further. Jesus knows Judas isn't working alone. Like, did you see that? Judas's heart is aligned with the will of Satan himself. I mean, we know Judas is going to betray Jesus in a little while, but in fact, he's already betrayed him. 
He's supposed to be a follower of Jesus, but instead he's following the lead of Satan. Can this hour grow any darker for Christ? Yet, it's in this moment, this hour, that Jesus gets up, he lays aside his outer garments, ties a towel around his waist. That was the uniform of a household servant. He, he, he puts on the uniform of the lowest of the low, but he doesn't just dress the part, he acts it out. Pours water into the basin and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. A task so low, even a Jewish servant wasn't allowed to perform it. You had to be a foreigner, a Gentile. The dust, the mud, the muck that people's feet had collected in the streets, it needed to be cleansed, to be washed. And here's Jesus, the highest, making himself lowest, the most glorious, doing. The inglorious. Like in the thick of his darkest hour. He doesn't clamor to be served. He strips himself to serve. He he doesn't demand their attention. No, he gives them his. Whether they show him love or not, he pours out his. How? How does he do that? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I don't know if you ever do this. I do this when I read the Bible. I think we all naturally play like we're God. So I'm like, might as well do it while I read the Bible. If I'm Jesus, I want everybody focused on me. But do you know, do you have any clue what I'm about to do for you? This is what I do with my kids sometimes. It's terrible parenting technique. I'm a horrible parent. I'm like, do you know what what I'm about to go through for you? How about some loving support right now? How about a little Jesus affirmation time? Quick, let's go around the table and everybody tell me the coolest thing about me. Peter, you're loud mouth, you go first. Like, that's what I would do, but Jesus does the opposite. He pours himself out for his disciples, lavishes love upon them. How can he do that in the midst of the growing darkness? Verse 3 told us how. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. Here's how he was able to rise from the supper. Here's how he was able to humble himself and pour himself out. He knew two things. First, Jesus knows that his Father is sovereign. And then what the first part of verse 3 says, the Father had given all things into his hand. The Father who holds all things had given them into his hands. Satan isn't sovereign in this situation. Judas isn't sovereign. The coming cross isn't sovereign. His Father is sovereign, totally in control of all that's about to unfold. And his Father has given all things into his hands. In other words, everything is going according to plan. Jesus told us this in John chapter 10. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. If I have the authority to lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Jesus knows that his Father is sovereign. And secondly, Jesus knows his hope for the future. It's secure because of his Father's sovereignty. That's the second part of verse 3. He had come from God and he was going back. 
to God. The cross was not the end for him, and he knew it. He knew that he would rise. He knew that he would ascend. He knew that he would be seated victoriously at the right hand of his Father. So no matter how dark the current situation may seem, Jesus doesn't need his disciples to be focused on him. He doesn't need them to to help boost his confidence because he already has full confidence, full hope guaranteed by his Father's sovereign. This provides power. The power for him to pour out his love. And that's exactly what he does. I believe his pouring out of his love is actually deeper than just this physical act of washing feet. There's more going on than Jesus just scrubbing dirt out from between the disciples' toes. Here's an image for you. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. I mean, we've said that through this action, Jesus is aiming to show us the full extent of his forever love. And I think, I hope you agree, that the the full extent of Christ's love goes way beyond just cleaning feet. This is pointing to something deeper. Verses 6 through 8 tell us we're on the right track. Look at it with me. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Loudmouth Peter, right? Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with. Jesus tells us that what he's doing through the washing of the feet can only be understood afterward. We we know he means after his hour, after the cross. The meaning, the deeper picture of this foot washing is connected to the cross. See that? The question is how? I think we see how through the exchange that takes place between Christ and Peter. Peter refuses to let Jesus wash his feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, You have no part with me. That's a pretty tall order to place on some simple foot washing. I think he's pointing to a deeper reality. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. You're not connected with me. You don't belong to me. Only those cleansed by Christ belong to Christ. And now the connection to the cross becomes clear. It's it's clear. Only those who sin has been cleansed by the cross of Christ, are connected to him. That's true. We know that. Only those belong to him. And so, through washing feet, Jesus is pointing us to the implications of his full forever love for us. He who is highest made himself lowest, the most glorious, went to the inglorious cross, not to wash our mud-caked feet, but to wash our sin-soaked hearts. That's what's, what's going on here. He, just like he took off that outer garment, he, he laid aside his glory, and with a basin of his own blood, he washed the filthiest part of us with his love. That's gospel good news. He did that for you. For, for you, like whatever, not just your feet, 
Whatever you think is the dirtiest part of your soul, your mind, your heart, your inner part, your inner thoughts, whatever you think is the most unclean, Christ stripped himself, filled the basin with his own blood to sit at your feet and wash you clean. That's the good news of the gospel, Shades. And maybe you hear that, and maybe you feel like Peter. Maybe you feel shame. I think that's what's going on in Peter's heart. Some people say pride, some people say, some scholars say pride, some scholars say shame. It's amazing how commonly those two are odd bedfellows. I mean, someone offers to help you. Why do you turn them down? Because you're ashamed you need to receive help? Because you're too proud to receive help? Yes. Peter's, Peter's ashamed of maybe, maybe whether you're too proud to receive the grace and forgiveness of Christ or, or whether you're, you're ashamed. You're like, Jonathan, you don't, you don't know what are my feet. What are the, what's the dirtiest part of me? If that's you, I would remind you, not of what's going on with Peter, I would remind you that Judas is at this table too. Jesus knows what Judas is thinking. He knows what Judas is about to do. Look, even in the moment, even at the moment in your life when you believe you have most deeply betrayed Christ, right then, right there, he meets you with a basin and a towel ready to wash you clean. Judas's will is aligned with Satan. Jesus is washing his feet. Shades, see the fullest extent of the forever love of Christ for you. And we haven't even seen it all yet. Christ's full forever love. It's greater, grander, more glorious than what we've seen so far. I told you at verse 8, this is where we usually stop when we think about the love of Christ. Jesus died for me, cleansed me from my sins. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm good to go. This is usually where we we stop and we fail to understand what Christ wants us to do. We fail to understand Christ's full forever love. And so we fail to know true joy in Jesus. Christ has forgiven me and cleansed me, so now I'll just go about my life continually seeking joy in all the things I sought it in before. It's deeper than this. We cannot stop here. Our text doesn't stop here because there's more of Christ's love for us to see, to know, to understand. Look at verses 9 through 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my, my hands and my head. Like if this is what it takes to have a part with you, okay, bring it on. Not just the feet, hands. Head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Not all of you are clean. Like, it didn't matter that Jesus had physically washed Judas' feet. That was just an outward sign. 
meant to point to an inward reality, but it wasn't an inward reality for Judas. Shades, this is a warning to us about outward signs. You can go through all the outward signs you want to. You can attend worship gatherings. You can give money. You can pray, sing, lift hands. You, You can be baptized. You can take communion every week. These are outward signs. And if these outward signs like baptism and communion, if they're not pointing towards an inward reality, they're meaningless. Like baptism just becomes another way to get wet. And communion becomes a mid-morning snack. Judas' feet may have been washed, but his heart was not. And he had no part with Christ. Peter doesn't want that to be the case for him. Jesus, if, if washing my feet is what it takes to belong to you, then let's, let's get it all done, man. Let's get the, the hands, the head. Basically, Jesus is saying, I mean, Peter is saying, all of me. Peter wants to make sure he belongs. He's like, man, do you know my track record? Do you know the things I've done? you know how often I've opened my mouth to take out one foot only to insert the other? Like, let's not just wash the feet, man. Let's get it all done. Peter wants to make sure he belongs to Christ. And Jesus does something subtle here that's easy for us to to miss. He takes this foot washing picture and he tweaks it. He, He expands it to make a new point. Aside from all the stuff we've already talked about it representing thus far. He expands it to make a new point. We've seen him do this before with word pictures. If you just think back to John chapter 10, which I know was like five years ago, but if you just think back to John chapter 10 where Jesus compares himself and his people with sheep and a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. But in that word picture, he also tells us that he is the door, the gate to the sheep pen. Well, which is it, Jesus? Are you the good shepherd or are you the gate to the sheep pen? Because the word picture falls apart if you're trying to be both. And Jesus is just like, I'm both. He expands it because he uses both of those things to make two different points. And this is what he does right here with Peter. Because Peter wants to make sure that he belongs to Jesus. Jesus, wash all of me. And so what we see is through his words, Jesus does reveal to Peter how you can know for sure that you belong to him. But it's different. It's different than what Peter Thinks. Peter basically wants a bath. Jesus says, you've already had a bath today. You're clean. And the evidence that you've already had a bath is the only thing that needs cleansing is your feet. Because sure, throughout the day, feet get dirty, you need a fresh application of water, but this doesn't mean that you weren't already clean. In fact, this fresh application is evidence that you are a person who's already been completely cleansed. Do you see what Jesus is saying right here? That that when the blood of the cross takes away our sin, we are completely clean and we are His. And sure, as we go throughout our daily lives, we still sin. We get our feet dirty. And daily... 
we confess our sin. This is 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sin, and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us daily, over and over again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus freshly applies the forgiveness he purchased once for all on the cross to us. But this doesn't mean that we weren't already his. In fact, this fresh application of forgiveness is evidence that we do indeed belong to him. First John chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us that it is people who don't belong to Christ who pretend like they don't have any sin. You don't belong to Christ. You don't come to him daily in confession, in repentance, seeking a fresh application of his forgiveness. You live as if you have no sin, but those who do belong to Him come to Him daily in confession, moment by moment for me in confession to be, to be cleansed. Not to be saved all over again. We don't need a bath because we're already clean. But we do know when our feet get dirty and we sin and we fall short and we return to old habits and and patterns. And here is the full forever love of Christ for us. He washes our feet daily, again and again, moment by moment. He reminds us again and again that He has made us completely clean by applying His forgiveness to us every day, even moment by moment. We, we are in a real, dynamic relationship with Christ where we constantly experience the highest humbling Himself to wash our lowest. Sh- shades, see the full forever love of Christ for you. He constantly, not just one time at the cross, He constantly kneels to remind you of what is true that he has washed you clean and you are his and he is yours and yet even in seeing all of this we still haven't seen the whole picture of christ's full forever love for us it gets even greater even grander even more glorious than this can't stop here. Our text keeps going. Look at verses 12 to 17. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The full, forever love of Christ is not just poured out on us, it transforms us. Is that not what Jesus is talking about right here? When, when our Lord and teacher, our master and sender, that's what he calls himself, all four of those titles right here. When our Lord and teacher, master and sender humbles himself to wash our feet, 
how can we not become washers of one another's feet? We have been washed to wash. Not literally, nobody freak out. We're not about to have a foot washing service where everybody has to strip off their shoes and we go around and wash everybody's feet. I've been in places where that's happened before, people. It's uncomfortable. Not that I'm opposed to making you uncomfortable. But no, not, not literally. We've seen that this foot washing points beyond itself. It points to Jesus humbling himself, sacrificing himself. He, he humbles himself to the point of death on a cross, and he daily applies that sacrifice to us anew. And when that's happening to you day after day, the most high is making himself the most low. The most glorious is constantly applying himself to our ingloriousness. When that is happening for you, and you're in that dynamic relationship, and he is constantly on his knees to wash your feet, that shapes you. Christ our Lord, he is daily, humbly leading out in love. Christ our teacher is daily, humbly teaching us to love. Christ our master is daily, humbly serving us in love. And Christ our sender is daily, humbly sending us out full of his forever love. We've been washed to wash. His love has cleansed us. Now his love sends us. Is that not what's implied by verse 16? When Jesus said a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him? I think that's what's implied because I believe it's confirmed by verse 20. Look down to verse 20. This is how Jesus ends this section. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send This is what he's doing. This is why he's cleansed you. This is why he's transforming you by daily applying all of his goodness to you again and again and again. He's transforming you to love the way that he loves because he's going to send us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one that I send receives me. We go as messengers representing the one who's delivering them, who gave us the message. Whoever Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Christ means to send us out as messengers full of his forever love, as demonstrators of it, as representatives of him and his love, to, 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 point, to point others to To his love, he means for people to see the way that we, shades, the way that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, he means for people to see the way that we love one another and catch a glimpse of the way that he loves. He's going to say that explicitly in just a few verses. Look down to verse, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, get down to verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you love one another, it's going to remind people of the kind of love that I have, the kind of love that I pour out. He means for people to see the way we love each other and and to catch a glimpse of the way that he loves. He means for people to see us wash one another's feet, not literally, but through humbly sacrificing ourselves for each other. And through that, catch a glimpse of, of the Savior who's done the same for them, humbly sacrificed himself for them. Shades, do you? Do you feel the implications of this? Our, our witness, Shades Valley's witness, to the love of Christ in Birmingham and to the ends of the earth, Haiti, wherever else we go, 
our witness to the love of Christ in Birmingham will only make sense if we love each other. Do you you see that? How, How can we be messengers of a Savior willing to wash feet unless we're willing to do the same? How can we be messengers of a Savior who humbly sacrificed himself unless we are a people who humbly sacrifice ourselves? It just doesn't make sense to proclaim a Savior who loves and not be a people who love. It just doesn't make sense. Our witness to the love of Christ will only make sense if we love one another. Are we a church who loves one another? And and when I say that... I'm not just talking about our close friends, like we all have close friends here. We have people that we, we know, those who are easy for us to, to love. No, I'm, I'm asking, do we humble ourselves? Each of us, I'm preaching to myself, do we humble ourselves? Even now, we're all here, Sunday morning. Even now, on a Sunday morning, do we sacrifice some of the time that we get to spend with our normal friends to, to reach out and love someone new? Someone who perhaps is on the fringe of our community, who knows no one. This doesn't just apply to us as individuals, but for everyone here who's a part of a community group. There's a lot of people who aren't a part of a community group. Maybe it has to do with how they feel about community groups. Maybe it has to to do with how we love one another. Like, will you, community groups, humble yourselves and sacrifice how comfortable you are with with your close-knit core in order to lovingly bring others into your community? Or will you be closed? Would you be willing, for, for those community groups that have grown, would you be willing to multiply your one group into two? As much as that stinks in some respects, would you be willing to do that to make space for more? Will we be a people who sacrifice our, sacrifice time to pray with and for one another? Will we be a people who weep with one another, support each other amidst lament? T- tonight's wave of light service is a great opportunity, whether you've experienced loss or not, to just come alongside brothers and sisters and to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and express a public lament to the Lord. This world is broken, and we want Him to come and to make it all all new. Will we be a body who loves each other this way? Will we be a people who are in real relationship with one another? I think that one of the things I constantly hear from new people who come to Shades Valley is that when, when I ask, why'd you come? Why'd you stay? What do you love? Constantly talk about the community here and the way we love one another. I do believe that we can answer the question, are we a church that loves one another? I believe we can answer that, yes, but I also believe that there is always room to look for more feet to wash. Ask yourself, how is God calling me to humbly love others in this community? Because shades our witness to the love of Christ in Birmingham will only make sense if we love each other can't declare a a savior willing to wash feet if we're unwilling to wash feet ourselves such a refusal like if 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 we're actually unwilling to do that unwilling to humble ourselves sacrifice ourselves to wash one another if we're unwilling to do that that suggests that we think we're greater than jesus 
Like, isn't that what verse 16 means? Look at it again. Verse 16, a messenger's not greater than the one who sent them. A student's not greater than their, their teacher. We're not greater than our master and sender, for we are the sent servant. And our master and sender wash his feet. Therefore, we wash feet. He humbly sacrifices himself. Therefore, we humbly sacrifice ourselves. To refuse otherwise is to suggest that we're greater than him. Sometimes my children, especially my older two, like to ask me why they have to share rooms with one another in our house. Why can't they have their own room? They have many friends who have their own room. If you're a parent and your kids have their own rooms, I am not dissing on you at all. Not at all. Right? But for us, we've chosen to make our kids share rooms. And when they ask why, Holly and I, our our answer to that question is, well, your mother and I, we don't get our own room. And we own the house. Like if the owners of the house don't get their own room, why should the freeloaders? A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And our master and sender washes feet. Therefore, so do we. And we don't do this out of guilt. Like if that's what you've been feeling as we've been thinking about this and talking about this, we don't do this out of guilt, not at all. When Jesus says that a servant's not greater than his master, he's not aiming to make us feel guilty and motivate us by guilt. I know that because of the very next thing he says. Right after he says that in verse 16, look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed, mercarios, happy, joyful, glad. If you know these things, glad are you if you do them. Jesus isn't motivating us with guilt, but with gladness, with joy. He says when you do this, when you humble yourself, sacrifice yourself, wash the feet of others, not be turned in on yourself, that's the way the world says you will find joy and it will literally just make you miserable. When you don't do it, when you sacrifice yourself, you will find joy. Here is where we see the fullest extent of the forever love of Christ. He doesn't just cleanse us of sin. He doesn't just daily apply that love again. He transforms us to find joy in glorifying Him. It's the opposite of the way we naturally seek joy. We're naturally self-obsessed creatures trying to find joy in our own glory. But all of our glory, no matter how great we can muster it up, it's all temporary. And so the joy it produces is temporary. But Jesus saves us from our self-obsession and gives us Himself as our eternal possession. He whose glory never fades, so the joy that it produces never fades. He cleanses us so that He can send us to find joy in glorifying Him. If you know these things, blessed, happy, joyous are you if you do them. Happy are you to humbly sacrifice yourself so that you may lift up Christ because His being lifted up is your joy, so it makes you happy. Shade, see the full extent of forever love of Christ for you. 
He doesn't just cleanse you and then just leave you, all right, flounder out there alone. He doesn't just cleanse you. He sends you. All too often we think of Christ's love, the full extent of it is, is of him just making us clean. But his making us clean is actually a means to get us to the greatest thing, glorifying him. He removes the sin so that we can have him. That's the best part. Our greatest joy is not that Christ humbled himself to lift us up, but that in his doing so, he empowers us to humble ourselves to lift him up. Our greatest joy is not that Christ makes much of us, and he does, but our greatest joy is not that Christ makes much of us but that he has freed us forever to make much of him. It's our greatest joy. He cleansed you so that he can send you for his glory and your joy. We're like a student whose greatest joy isn't learning from the teacher, but getting to turn around and teach another. Or like a messenger whose greatest joy isn't when his master gives him the message, but when he faithfully delivers it. So also our greatest joy is teaching about our teacher, delivering the message of our master. Our greatest joy isn't merely that the love of Christ has cleansed us, but that the love of Christ also sends us. His washing of our feet commissions us to wash others' feet. We've been washed to wash in order to glorify Christ before the world. This is our joy. And when I say that, when I say, this is our joy, blessed are those, joyful are those, happy are those, glad are those that do that. I'm, I'm not talking about a, flay, a, a fake, flippant, Jesus put sunshine in my soul joy. Like, I got Jesus, so I got no problems, more Jesus, no problems, or whatever. Like, no, I, we, we're talking about right now, we're talking about humbly sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others that they may know Christ. And that can lead you to some really hard places, places of pain. The very disciples, let's go back to, to that room with Jesus and his disciples, the disciples that he is giving this commission to. Like, how's that going to play out for them? Like, it will, it will lead them into persecutions and beatings and insults and even death, but they will go to all of these places, the scriptures tell us again and again, they will go to all of these places with deep, abiding joy. That's what we want. How? Final question for you. How did they do that? I think verses 18 and 19 tell us how. Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. In other words, not all of you are going to know these things, understand these things. That my self-sacrificial love, that you're, that, 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 not all of you are going to understand my self-sacrificial love and find joy in reflecting that to the world. He's obviously talking about Judas. Judas says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's telling him that Judas is going to betray him. Verse 19, he tells us why. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Literally in the Greek, you may believe that I 
am. Jesus has called his disciples to humbly sacrifice themselves for one another for his glory. This will be their greatest joy. And he points out purposefully, points out to them that he's calling them to do this on the eve of their darkest hour, even though they don't know it. It's about to look like everything falls apart. Jesus tells them, one of you is about to betray me. Things are about to get dark. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be put to death. He tells them that's going to happen. Why? So that when it does happen, they may know and believe that Jesus is the I am. So they may know he's sovereign. That that amidst the darkness of Judas' betrayal, they they can know that he is sovereign. The betrayal and the death is not a surprise to him. He's sovereign over it all. It's been given into his hands. It's all going according to plan. Jesus wants them to know. He's telling them beforehand because he wants them to know, I'm the sovereign I am. So even amidst the darkness of Judas's betrayal, they can know there's hope. There's hope for a future. Judas won't win. Satan won't win. Death won't win. It won't be the end. Jesus wants them to know this. Why? Do you remember all the way back from verse 3. Do you remember these are the very things that we were told back in verse 3 that Jesus knows? Knowing that his Father is sovereign and that this secures his hope, that's what empowered Jesus amidst his darkest hour to humbly sacrifice himself. And now he provides the same power to his disciples and to us. It's about to look dark. Even in your own life, it may look dark right now, but no matter how dark the hour grows, no matter how much it looks like Christ is losing and Satan is winning, Jesus wants you to know this is not the end. He is the sovereign I am who secures your hope. That's what will provide you to do the power amidst the darkest hour, the same thing that Christ did amidst his darkest hour. Humbly sacrifice yourself for his glory and your joy. This provides the power for us to sacrifice ourselves even amidst the places of deepest possible pain. This is what empowered the disciples to have joy amidst persecutions, amidst beatings, amidst insults, amidst death. They knew that Christ was the sovereign I am and their future hope was secure. Even if someone was to take their life, they saw it as gain. So they were empowered and we are empowered. To lay aside our own glory and to take up a towel. Even in the darkest hour and humbly, lovingly sacrifice ourselves. This points the world to the humble, loving sacrifice of Christ amidst his darkest hour. This glorifies Christ, which is our joy. Shades. See the fullest extent of the forever love of Christ. He has cleansed you so that he might send you. You've been washed to wash for his glory and your joy forever.